Jesus plus nothing equals everything. That's it. That's the tweet. That's the glory of the new covenant. That's the glory of the gospel is that we come to God with the empty hands of faith. We are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, according to Scripture alone, for the glory of God alone. That's basic Reformed theology. That's the Reformation, October 31st, yesterday, 1517. Martin Luther nailing the 95 Theses on the church door at Wittenberg. That's what the Reformation is all about. It's about Jesus plus nothing equals everything. It's basic Reformed theology. We bring nothing except our sin. And then, for the rest of our lives, we have to relearn that because we're dummies. I called you a dummy today because you got an extra hour of sleep, so you should be a little more forgiving. We have to relearn because we're dummies for the rest of our lives. Relearn and relearn and relearn that Jesus plus nothing equals everything. We learn that He is all we need. We're just singing that. We learn that He alone can satisfy us. And the Apostle Paul knew this. Jesus plus nothing equals everything is what sustained Paul as he suffered. And it shaped his preaching and it shaped how he handled the word of God. So you could sum up the Apostle Paul's philosophy of ministry as Jesus plus nothing equals everything. And that's what he's trying to get across to this little church that he planted in the pagan city of Corinth. And you may need to remember that later this week. That Jesus plus nothing equals everything. Not Jesus plus Donald Trump equals everything. Not Jesus plus Joe Biden equals everything. Not Jesus plus Kanye West equals everything. Jesus plus nothing equals everything. Okay, now that we got politics out of the way, okay, they're done with Let's just jump into the text, shall we? 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Is there any better place to be right now than opening up God's word together? I don't think so. 2 Corinthians 4, beginning in verse 1. Hear the word of the Lord. Therefore, having this ministry by the mercy of God, we do not lose heart. If we're honest, we lose heart a lot, don't we? especially if you serve in ministry, we lose heart. And so verse 1 is a reminder that we all need. It's a reminder that we all need because all that we have comes by mercy. In Greek, this is called a divine passive. It means God is the agent. You could translate it as God has shown us mercy, or better yet, the idea is that we have been mercied. God is the agent. 
He makes the first move with us. He made the first move with you when he regenerated you and made you alive in Christ. You were just sinning and you were rebelling against God and you were just minding your own business and then God just had mercy on you and you didn't deserve a drop of it and me either. So mercy knocks on our door and delivers good things to us. We don't deserve any of the Lord's kindness to us. I need to say that again because there's probably some religious people here. And you're like, well, I deserve a little bit because I am kind of good. No, we don't deserve any of the Lord's kindness to us. We get mercied by God. It's all mercy. And if it's all mercy, then God gets all the glory for our salvation and all the glory for any success that we have in our lives or in any kind of ministry that we're involved in. Here's what I love about Paul. He never got over the mercy of God. It was his constant theme. He just never got over how merciful God had been to him. And so in 2 Corinthians, Paul has, we've talked about it all along, Paul has these people who are making claims against his ministry, accusing him of things, doubting his apostolic credentials, saying that he's not a great pastor. We're going to see later that they're complaining about his preaching. They're saying, this guy can't preach. He writes good devotional letters from far away. But when he shows up, man, this guy really stinks. And so the list goes on and on with Paul, Paul is dealing with. And all of that is the background to 2 Corinthians. But what Paul comes back to at the end of the day is not all of these complaints and not all of these accusations and not all of the drama that's going on. That's not his focus. He comes back to the mercy of God. He just never gets over the mercy of God, that God hasn't given him what he rightfully deserves. So Paul's head hits his pillow at night, and Paul thinks, I have been mercied by God. You might want to try this tonight. Paul keeps reminding himself that he's been mercied by God. And so he doesn't lose heart. Not that Paul doesn't have bad days where he's down in the dumps. He had those days. He has days where he just wants to quit. Paul already told us he was down in the dumps and wanted to die back in chapter 1, remember? His suffering was so intense. He's like, I just, we just wanted to die. He felt like he had received the sentence of death. And so what kept the apostle Paul afloat in ministry as he suffered so much? Answer the mercy of God. Remember, he's already, he began by saying, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies. He has been mercied by God. He's been slandered by people. Yes, there are people in Corinth who are writing emails to one another about him. He's been accused of things by people. Yes, he's been gossiped about. Yes, but he's been mercied by God, and that trumps all of the drama that surrounds his ministry. So let's take a cue from the Apostle Paul. When life gets overwhelming, remember that you have been mercied by God. Remember that God has not given you what you deserve. Because we all have secrets, don't we? 
Every single person in this room has a secret that they hope no one ever finds out about, something that you're ashamed of, something that you're embarrassed by, that if we were to reveal it, you wouldn't show back up at Grace anymore. We'd be like, what happened to that guy? Oh, yeah, he's the guy we showed that clip of. We're all that way. We all deserve death and hell forever, and yet God has not given that to us. We all deserve the penalty of all the shameful things that we've done, and we all have many of them, and yet God has been merciful. When people slander you, when people lie about you, like what's happening with Paul here, remember that you have been mercied by God. Paul knows that it is God who keeps him afloat and God who keeps him from throwing in the towel. Because there are days when he and days when we want to throw in the towel, right? Ministry is hard. My wife Heather always says, ministry is not for the faint of heart. It's not. Josh Howerton, a pastor in Texas, says, leadership is an exercise in pain tolerance. If you want to make everybody happy, don't be a leader. Go sell ice cream. Ministry is tough. Why? Because every single person in the church is a sinner, except for Jesus. Everybody else is a sinner. That's why ministry is tough. Several years ago, someone came uh, to us and wanted to start a ministry here at Grace, and they did, and it was successful. And they came back after a year or so, and they said they wanted to hand the ministry off to someone else. Why? Here's what they basically said. I didn't know that ministry would be so hard. I didn't know that people would be so mean and that there would be so much drama over such a simple ministry. All they wanted to do was serve their Lord. All they wanted to do was serve others and teach God's word. And they lost heart because there were people causing all of this drama. So yes, ministry is hard. Church family is hard. Church life is hard because we're all sinners. And if you don't understand that about this church, you will be unnecessarily disappointed. If you're new to grace, you need to know that about us. We are going to let you down at some point. We're going to offend you, not on purpose, but it will happen because we're all sinners here. But even though ministry is hard, if you can go to Jesus with your pain and you can go to Jesus with your heartache, when you've lost heart, the Spirit will mercifully renew you and refresh you. And that refreshment happens by beholding the glory of the Lord, which is what New Covenant ministry is all about. Listen, don't lose heart. If you're serving in a ministry here at Grace, or you're discipling someone, and God has brought someone along your path, and they're difficult, and you keep giving out to them, and it's draining, don't lose heart. Keep your eyes on Jesus. Keep loving and serve others, even if there's drama. But don't lose heart. You know what? Tuck this verse in your back pocket because you're going to need it someday. Hebrews 6.10. For God is not unjust so as to overlook your work and the love that you have shown for his name in serving the saints as you still do. So don't lose heart. Even if people are jerks. God will remember all that you do, all the hard work, all the, the blood, sweat, and tears, all the love that you show For his name in serving others, he will remember. 
Now, let me talk to the parents here just for a moment. And that includes parents of adult kids as well, because parents, you never stop parenting your kids, do you? Parents, don't give up loving and serving your kids. Don't give up praying for them, even if you don't see any fruit in their lives. Paul says in verse 1 that he received this ministry, the ministry of calling people to behold the glory of God in the gospel, calling people to behold the glory of the gospel in the face of Christ. He said, this is the ministry that I received. And so parents, that's your ministry, calling your kids to behold the glory of the gospel, praying that their eyes would be open to see the light of the gospel of the glory of God as it shines in the face of Jesus Christ. So just talk to them about Jesus. Start conversations. Just ask, ask your kids, what do you know about Jesus? I did that this week with a couple of my girls. I said, what, tell me what you know about Jesus. And man, it was like, he's kind, he's merciful, he forgives us. And I was like, yes, Lord, yes. So don't lose heart, parents. I know it's easy to lose heart. We have six kids. We're exhausted. Parenting is hard. Parenting is hard in 2020. It's tempting to lose heart. But be encouraged today. Don't be discouraged. The Holy Spirit is at work in the hearts of your children. And get this, He loves them more than you do. Let it drive you to Jesus. Let the hard work of parenting cause you to collapse on Jesus and then do that. Just collapse on him and embrace your weakness and tell the Holy Spirit that you're desperate, you're dependent on him, and without him you're not going to be able to do anything. And he will strengthen you. So what seems like too overwhelming of a thing, parenting, it can be the thing that ushers you to Jesus where you will find your strength and where your heart will get refreshed. And so go ahead, parents, collapse on Jesus. He's waiting for you to give up, to give up your strength and to finally admit and embrace your weakness. And when you get to that place of just crashing and collapsing into the arms of Jesus, you'll relearn once again that Jesus plus nothing equals everything. The verb translated here, we do not lose heart, can mean to become discouraged. And throughout this letter, Paul lists many reasons why he might lose heart and become discouraged. There's the constant threat of persecution and suffering because he's preaching the gospel of Christ the exclusivity of salvation alone in Christ alone, by faith alone, that the threat of suffering for taking that message to a hostile world is always there in Paul's life. Then you have all of this backstabbing by fellow Christians, by brothers and sisters in Christ, in this church that he planted. He's getting backstabbed by people that he's had dinner with in their homes. And then there's all these accusations by the super apostles, this group of false teachers that has infiltrated the church in Corinth. And so all of that would cause most of us to just give up, wouldn't it? But Paul doesn't lose heart. Paul doesn't lose heart in the midst of these accusations and hardships and sufferings because he knows that these trials will ultimately 
lead Paul to Jesus, that he'll go to Jesus with his pain and his heartache. So it's like Paul actually has an advantage over his opponents. The super apostles and those whom they have deceived and poisoned, they seek to lie and spread all these accusations about Paul and do him harm and ruin his reputation. But this only causes Paul to seek Jesus even more. All the drama in his ministry just causes Paul to collapse on the Lord where he just enjoys the Lord more and more. He doesn't see these trials as evidence against him, but as opportunities to spend time with God and learn to enjoy him more. He doesn't see all this drama as evidence against him. He says, this is an opportunity for me to go be with Jesus, the one I love and the one who loves me. So Paul really does have an unfair advantage over his opponents. In Psalm 119, uh, verse 78, the psalmist is talking about these lies being circulated about him by prideful people. Here's what Charles Spurgeon said about that verse. He said, he, the psalmist, would study the law of God and not the law of retaliation. The proud are not worth a thought. The worst injury they can do to us is to take us away from our devotions. Let us baffle them by keeping all the closer to our God when they are most malicious in their onslaughts. So the worst thing that Paul could do as he endured all of these accusations and lies would be to quit seeking the Lord. But what Paul does is baffle these super apostles by keeping all the closer to Jesus. Paul knows that without all the thorns and drama that come with ministry, he knows, would we really seek the Lord? Listen, if life and ministry were really easy, would we really seek the Lord? If we're honest, and we should be because we're Christians and we're in church. I mean, you have to be honest in church, right? If we're honest we probably wouldn't seek Jesus as much if life were really easy. And it's not that Paul is a sucker for pain and drama. He has just learned that weakness is the gateway to strength. He's learned, what he'll say later on in chapter 12, that God's power is made perfect in our weakness. And that's why Paul doesn't ultimately lose hope here. Yes, he has days where he's down in the dumps, but he knows he won't stay there. He'll eventually seek the Lord and his heart will be renewed. Paul knows that no matter what these super apostles say about him, he won't lose heart because he has learned that power comes when we are weak and that there's kingdom growth even when there's apparent setbacks and hurdles. Isn't that great? There's always kingdom growth. God's kingdom is always advancing in this world, even though there's apparent setbacks and hurdles. And so Paul really believes what he told the Corinthians back in chapter 2, that God always leads us in triumph in Christ. And it's the same for us. It's the same for you. With whatever's going on in your life right now, Christian, God is leading you in triumph in Christ. Now, notice that word ministry there in verse 1 and connect it back to chapter 3, verse 8. Paul is still talking about ministry here. He says, we have received this ministry 
The ministry of the Spirit, the ministry of righteousness, as he mentions in chapter 3, verse 8. He says, we don't lose heart because we have received this ministry, which is calling people to behold the glory of God in Christ. So Paul doesn't lose hope because he beholds the glory of God in Christ. He doesn't lose heart because God shines the light of his glory in his heart, and he does in ours. Listen, if we stopped beholding the glory of the Lord, then yes, we would despair. We would lose heart. If Paul and if we looked at and remained focused on our circumstances and our sufferings and our sins, then yeah, we'd lose heart, wouldn't we? Listen, if you focus on your sins, if you become morbidly introspective about your sins, you will lose heart. It's discouraging to see what's inside of us, isn't it? And it's, frankly, it's embarrassing, isn't it? If we obsess over what's in our hearts instead of looking out to Christ, then we will lose heart. We're strengthened when we look out to Christ and not become morbidly introspective. And if we just focus on our circumstances and focus on our suffering, then guess what? We're going to lose heart. And if all we do is focus on what is happening in our country, then guess what? We'll lose heart. That's why we have to be diligent to stare at and behold the glory of God so that we don't lose heart. If all we do is focus on our troubles and the accusations and the lies and the suffering and the drama, then yeah, there's a good chance that we will burn out and become fried and lose heart. And that's why we have to keep beholding the glory of the Lord in the face of Jesus. That's why we have to stick our noses in our Bibles. You may need to stick your nose deeper into your Bible after Tuesday and for the following weeks. I suggest you do that. Let's all do that. And then let's pray that God would have mercy on our country this week. Let's just pray that God have mercy us. Don't give us what we deserve. And since all of life and ministry is God's mercy to us, and since he has been mercied by God. Paul doesn't tamper with God's holy word. I mean, why would he? If God has not given him what he clearly deserves when it comes to God's word, why in the world would he mess with it? That's what Paul says next. Look at verse 2. But we have renounced disgraceful, underhanded ways. We refuse to practice cunning or to tamper with God's word. But by the open statement of the truth, we would commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God. Here's what's happening here. Paul is responding to the accusations that are being made against him by the super apostles. They're saying, Paul, you've watered down God's law. Remember, the super apostles were probably a group of Judaizers, Jewish people who would come into the Christian church and say, you have to do everything in the Old Testament to be saved. You have to be circumcised, don't eat certain food, don't wear certain clothing, and then you'll be saved. And so when Paul comes along and says, we don't have to obey the law to be saved, they think he's watered it down. Paul says, Jesus plus nothing equals everything. Jesus obeyed the law for us. That's how we get righteousness. And then we go back to the law in order to please the Lord but we don't obey the law in order to get saved. So the super apostles are saying, Paul, you have watered down God's holy law. And Paul responds to them. 
And he says here, he's renounced all the ways of doing ministry that puff him up. That's what the super apostles wanted. Paul's ministry, as he said at the end of chapter 3, was all about reflecting the glory of God and pointing people to Christ. Paul doesn't need approval like the super apostles. He doesn't crave human approval. His ego does not rise and fall on how people view him and if they like him. And Paul says he doesn't tamper with God's word. The word that Paul uses here for tamper was used by wine merchants in his day. It was the word they would use when they would dilute wine down with water and try to pass it off as pure wine. So Paul doesn't water down the word of God here. He says what God says. In a hostile culture, Paul just simply says what God's word says. I don't know if you saw this on social media this week, but Kanye West was on Joe Rogan's podcast, and he actually said some great words about expositional preaching. Kanye West, if you don't know, is a rapper, a musician, a businessman. He's married to Kim Kardashian, and he's a presidential nominee. He's on your ballot, if you didn't know. He might be president on Tuesday. It's 2020. (laughs) Would you be surprised? Well, over the last year or so, it seems that the Holy Spirit has regenerated Kanye West, and he's become a Christian. And yeah, he may be rough around the edges a little, because we all were when we first got saved, right? Anyways, Kanye was on Joe Rogan's podcast talking about preaching and hearing God's Word. If you want to listen in, it's about the 30-minute mark, I think. He's talking about preaching and hearing God's word and how we should not, like Paul says here, water it down or tamper with it. And so here's what Kanye says to Joe Rogan, who is a pagan. He says this, one of my pastors, Pastor Adam, he's a master's seminary graduate, by the way. One of my pastors, Pastor Adam, the way he preaches is called expository. Think about that. Kanye West is talking about expository preaching. 2020. (laughs) He says, it's like one-to-one by the word. I like all different kinds of preachers, but there are some type of preachers, they get up, they have the Bible in their hand, they close the Bible, and they just talk for two hours. And some do have anointing, but expository preachers go line for line. And for me, it's like I come from entertainment. I got so much sauce, I don't need no sauce on the word. I need the word to be solid food that I can understand exactly what God was saying to me through the King James Version, through this, you know, this translation or the English Standard Version. That's what Paul is saying here. We don't need no sauce on the word. No flair, no gimmicks, no entertainment, just straight scripture. That's what the Reformation was about, getting God's word back into people's hands and preaching justification by faith. God's word is sufficient for us. No sauce. And that's the kind of preaching that you'll hear at Grace. We will preach the law in all of its power, exposing our sin, and we will preach the gospel of free grace. No sauce. No how-to sermons. No fluff. No entertainment. The word of God is sufficient. Had a guy who used to attend Grace several years ago, met me at Starbucks one day, and he told me basically, you talk about sin too much. 
And I just sat there. And he said, you should share more stories and illustrations. You should read a few stories from Chicken Soup for the Soul when you preach. Uh, no. Don't need no Chicken Soup for the Soul, dude. Okay? My soul needs Jesus. My heart needs the gospel. People at Grace need the gospel. Nothing against Chicken Soup for the Soul. Haven't read it. If that's your thing, great. Okay? You got an extra hour of sleep. You shouldn't send any emails and hate on me if you're a chicken soup for the soul person. But why do we not need chicken soup for the soul in the pulpit every single week? Because when you end up in the hospital, or when you lose your job, or your marriage is falling apart, or one of your kids runs away from Jesus, you don't need chicken soup for the soul. You need Jesus. You need God's word. You need his promises. No sauce. Listen, sauce won't help you when you suffer. You need the light of the glory of the gospel of God shining in the face of his son, Jesus Christ, not chicken soup for the soul. When you suffer, you don't need a watered-down gospel, a watered-down Bible, a watered-down view of the sovereign God. You need pure, 100% scripture, truth, Only God's word will sustain you when you are suffering, and only it will keep you from losing heart. You need theology, not fluff, when you are suffering. You need doctrine, not funny jokes from the pulpit. You need to have a picture of the sovereign God of the universe who is providentially ruling every single atom and particle in his universe. You don't need programs. You don't need pragmatism. You don't need sauce. And that's why Paul says here in verse 2, he refuses to practice cunning. Literally in Greek, Paul says, I refuse to walk in all works. What Paul means is that when he says, I refuse to walk in all works, is I refuse to do things, to do anything that works to get a crowd. He will preach God's word without gimmicks. I'm I'm not here to do things that work, that attract people. I'm here to preach the word of God. Some pastors try anything that works, all kinds of gimmicks, all kinds of stunts in the pulpit in order to attract crowds instead of preaching the sufficiency of Scripture. I saw a video of a, a, a Baptist pastor, and he was like in his mid to late 50s or mid 60s. He was trying to dress like he was 18, mistake number one. Okay, you're like in your 60s, wear khakis and a button-down, okay? You don't need to wear skinny jeans and with rips and spiked colored tips on your hair, okay? Just, just be you, dude. But he's trying to be cool and attract And he's there preaching, and they're going through this series, and they have this big couch built on the stage. And this kind of cushions of the couch, if we will, were this gigantic trampoline. And he's sitting there bouncing and jumping as he's preaching. That's not what you need when you suffer. What are you going to do if you're in the hospital? Pastor, can you go get the trampoline and preach? You need the sufficiency of God's word. No gimmicks. No sauce. Kanye said he's had all the entertainment that he needs. Listen, Hollywood will always outdo the church. They're just better at it. Hollywood is better at entertaining us. Kanye, who's knee-deep in the, the industry, 
It says, I have all the entertainment that I need. What I need is God's word preached to me every week with no gimmicks. Kanye West, presidential candidate, seems to have figured out Paul's philosophy of ministry that Jesus plus nothing equals everything. And so Paul preached Christ crucified for sinners, not gimmicks. All that Paul needed was the word of God, no sauce. He openly preaches God's word and he commends himself to everyone's conscience, he says in verse 2. And what Paul means when he says that we, we've, we've openly spoken the truth and commend ourselves to everybody's conscience, he's saying, everybody knows my method, everybody knows my philosophy of ministry. I handle the truth of God's word with integrity, he says. Paul preaches as if God the judge was present in each congregation listening to every single one of his sermons. And he already told the Corinthians back in chapter 2, Jesus is present with you. Paul says, I preach as if Jesus were sitting out there taking notes. Would he agree with what I'm saying from his word? Jesus is present with every congregation and he's present with us today. Jesus, awesome in power and glory we were just singing about. He meets us here at this table today. His mercy meets our mess. And when we come to the Lord's Supper, we see once again that we have been mercied by God. Jesus took our sins, our rebellion, our shame, our blame on the cross. And God doesn't give us what we deserve because he gave Jesus what we deserve on the cross. I hope you never get over that. And when we come to the table to celebrate communion, we don't tamper with God's word either. We don't dilute his word down or water it down. We call sin, sin at this church. We've had people leave before and say, we're leaving because you called my kid a sinner. Well, what does Paul say in 1 Timothy? This is a trustworthy statement and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. Paul says this is a trustworthy statement. You can call people sinners. It's deserving of full acceptance. You can believe it, that people are sinners. So we call sin, sin in this church. We don't just use words like broken and messy to the exclusion of the word sin. We, we use words like broken and messy, but not to the neglect of the word sin. We talk about sin because God's word talks about sin. We let God's law expose us for the sinners that we are, but we also don't tamper with the gospel either because broken, failed sinners need grace when they fail. They don't need a tampered with, watered down, muted gospel. They need the gospel turned up to 11. They need to know that they are forgiven, that they are loved, that they are clean, and that they are free in Christ. So we don't water the gospel down here either. We preach the free, overwhelming, it seems too good to be true gospel here. I hope you have moments in your life where you think, this is too good to be true. I hope you have one in just a moment as we celebrate the Lord's Supper. There are no strings attached to God's grace and His love, and we preach that here. It's free, and grace is free at this table today without limit.
You can come back for grace. You can come back for seconds and thirds with God's grace. So we preach the whole law here. We don't tamper with it. We tell people that they are sinners and rebels and that they need a Savior and they need to repent and flee the wrath to come. But then we preach the gospel that God loves them and sent his son Jesus to die for their sins. And we never get over that at this church either. Here at this table, we see once again that we have been mercied by God. He doesn't give us what we deserve. And we are reminded that Jesus plus nothing equals everything. So just bring your sin to Jesus. That's it. Just come with your sin. Jesus plus nothing equals everything. You might want to tuck that big idea into your back pocket because you're probably going to need it later this week. So let's pray and prepare our hearts. Let's confess our sin as we approach this table. And let's repent. You know, that was the very first of Martin Luther's 95 theses. All of life is repentance. That was number one on the list. All of life is repentance. We're always repenting, turning away from our sin, turning to Christ. So let's repent before we come to the table. And then... Let's listen for and hear our Father in heaven saying to us, You are my beloved children. With you I am well pleased because of Jesus. So let's pray. Father, thank you for your great love in sending your Son to live and die for us. To rise again from the dead to ascend to your right hand. Thank you that he is there interceding for us, that he is our high priest. We confess our sin, Lord. We know it so well. And we repent, we turn. We ask you to forgive us. We've all been in the faraway country, playing in the pig pen of sin, wishing and hoping we could come back home, and you've been waiting for us, looking, and so we... We run home today and we say, forgive us. Thank you that at this table even, Lord, you have prepared the fatted calf for us to celebrate, a party to celebrate your love and your mercy and your forgiveness. So we just come home today and say, forgive us and thank you for loving us. In Jesus' name, amen.